Not that radio didn't always suck, but radio music really sucks now. It's it's speaking to a different generation. That's the thing. It's like it's what's it saying? If it's speaking to a different generation, tell me what it's saying. <laughs> it's um, from my understanding, it's vibing. He runs as though the devil himself is in pursuit, and well he might, for he saw what no man has ever seen before. in science and security need a band of men who try to find a way to exterminate X the unknown terror only to find a tunnel of fear from which there is no escape Dean Jagger as Professor Royston top secret scientist Edward Chapman Elliot in charge of lab operations Leo McKern Inspector McGill security officer Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric. And I'm John. Dear God, Season 4, Episode 8 of Succession. I don't recommend watching it at 1 in the morning. My nerves were shot by the end of the episode. I couldn't get to sleep afterwards. Also watching The Last Drive-In, the the Joe Bob Briggs special. And I was actually really happy because they showed the mutilator on there. And I just worked on the sequel last year, so... When that was over, they were given a shout out that said, hey, there's a sequel that's done and maybe there might be a streaming service looking to send it. So I was like, oh, my God, did we just get distribution on their show? <laughs> nice. I plan to go to the drive-in tonight. Nice. <laughs> so it's the first weekend the drive-in is open this year. It is a double feature. Fast X <laughs> is the first feature. All and- right. Cocaine Bear is the other film. I love, I love that double billing right there. Is that not a great double billing? Like that's driving for you, right? That That is is ultimate driving. Yes. And I have been watching The Diplomat. Carrie Russell is a foreign service officer who becomes the ambassador to the UK during a crisis. It's great, but I can only take it in doses of one or two episodes a night and mm-hmm. and now i really want to see carrie russell getting attacked by a bear so that's <laughs> why I'm going to cocaine bear. and i had seen all the fast and furious films up until they spun off hobbs and shaw and i did not watch that one i still haven't seen that one 
so I'd seen up through eight. And then I said, okay, well, if I'm going to go see Fast X at the drive-in, I got to watch F9, the <laughs> Fast Saga or whatever it's the called. Fa- the Fate the, of the Furious. Fate of, no, the show- Fate of the Furious was before yeah. that. Oh, um, no, no, yeah. Um, good God. Yeah, what is it called? Yeah, because Fate, they shot part of that in Cleveland. I remember that. Um, yeah, you guys, I'm jealous of all the films you get nowadays. In, <laughs> in uh, like when I was there, there was no work to be had. F9, the Fast Saga is what it's called. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I have to say that F9 is probably the weakest. There's a low it, it bar. It sounds like it, yeah. There's, there's already a low bar with the Fast and the Furious franchise, but it is... The stuff is like more ridiculous and more unbelievable. A lot of stuff just doesn't make sense. How did they get there now? You know, it's um, funny you mentioned that because like I, I was like, wait, wait, what was the hell was part nine even about? And I was like, oh, that's the one that has the trailer where like the, the car is on a vine and swings across a cliff or something. Right. Yes. So, oh. that, that, so what happens is imagine Indiana Jones. And I'm sure this is where they got the idea. M- remember in Temple of Doom where they're like they're on that rickety bridge mm-hmm. and short rounds like, hold on, lady, we going for a ride. <laughs> that, that bit, you know, future um, and, Oscar winner. Yes. Yeah. And, and Indy like slashes the bridge with a sword and yep. it collapses and it goes swinging down. OK, it's that except for with a car. All right. So the car is going across the bridge. (laughs) Now, that would be fine, except for that the bridge has been cut at one end and they're falling. Yet the car is still driving vertically up the bridge and like (laughs) goes up in the air and like lands on the ground. All right. And so (laughs) like it's stuff like that. And then people will fall from like the top of a skyscraper. But as long as they land on a car, they're okay. There's no such thing as getting killed by a car in the Fast and Furious saga. As long as you touch a car, it's like home base and tag when you were a kid. Like, you're safe as soon as you touch the car, you know? Yeah, well, everyone knows that car car roofs are just like, you know, stunt pads, right? Or it you could can be fall the, off any the car. It doesn't have to be the roof. As long as you're in contact with a car in some way, you are safe. Those hoods are probably like Wayne Technologies from The Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> okay so so then there's later in the series where they like go into space i am not kidding you they go into space in a potty i heard era. about that i heard and about that. there is an unironically <laughs> delivered line in this film and this is the one line that actually had me laughing out loud which i don't think was supposed to be intentionally a joke in the movie but they're like ludicrous or something ludicrous yeah he's the scientist guy in their group <clears throat> And sure. He's, why not? He's like, he's like, says to the other guy, like, you know, the other guy's freaking out that they're going to die or whatever. And he's like, as long as we follow the laws of physics, everything will be okay. And I'm like, <laughs> that made me laugh out loud because nothing in the whole movie follows the laws of physics. And that coming off the bridge thing was one, just one example. <laughs> it's Gore Verbinski logic. Oh, man. Um, also, there's now so many damn characters in this film that I can't even keep track of them all. Like, wasn't Gal Gadot in, like, the last episode? But where is she now? No, oh, yeah, she's in, like, a few of the movies, too. And it's like, okay, where is she now? I don't know. She probably left to be Wonder Woman. And then, like, oh, well, we have to write her off somehow. 
So people come and go all the time from this franchise. So there's like some guy that died in like Fast 6 who pops back up in this one. And there's more than one person that died that came back. And then there are people that were supposed to be here that weren't here. You know, it's just kind of doesn't make any sense. I'll never forget when they kill off Michelle Rodriguez and like two movies later, they bring her back. And it's just like, it's like that Truman Show moment. It's like, oh, how are you going to explain your father's absence? amnesia <laughs> well i wouldn't i probably wouldn't watch the show if it weren't for michelle rodriguez that was i always wanted to date the cool girl but never got to date the cool girl you know so like that's like so she's not the prettiest girl in the bunch by far she has to share screen with the likes of gal gadot but she is the true badass of the movies oh, yeah yeah oh, yeah so, uh, okay, enough about the fast and the furious. Like, how did we end up in a world where there's like 10 fast and the furious films? And yet, like, we've spent too much time on this already. We need to get into today's movie, X the Unknown. All right, let's do it. This movie came out in 1956. So, I want to give a little background to the year as we do on this podcast. January 1st of 1956. The Republic of Sudan gained independence from Egypt and the United Kingdom, which jointly controlled it. Now, all these years later, we'll see how well that's working out for them. (laughs) February 5th, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is released and becomes the Mm. most watched movie of 1956. Between March 18th and 20th, The worst March blizzard of the century hits New Jersey, southern New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts with snow drifts up to 14 feet high. 162 people die. April 14th, videotape is first demonstrated at the 1956 NARTB, modern day NAB, convention in Chicago by Ampex. It is the demonstration of the first practical and commercially successful videotape format known as two-inch quadruplex. Hmm. May 22nd, the NBC Peacock logo debuts on television in the United States. Peacock, by the way, soon to be the better streaming service than HBO Max. I always make fun of Peacock as being like the suckiest of the streaming (laughs) services. Um, But soon... that's what they want to make HBO Max into is Peacock. Um, (laughs) Bunch of reality TV bullshit. That's what you get when you get the Discovery person in charge. Uh, June 21st, playwright Arthur Miller appears before the House Un-American Activities Committee in Washington, D.C. July 2nd, a laboratory experiment involving scrap thorium at Sylvania Electric Products in Bayside, New York, results in an explosion. July 13th, John McCarthy of Dartmouth, Marvin Minsky of MIT, Claude Shannon of Bell Labs, and Nathaniel Rochester of IBM assemble the first coordinated research meeting on the topic of artificial intelligence at Dartmouth College, Hanover, New Hampshire in the United States. Uh, (laughs) Harbinger of things to come. August 6th, after going bankrupt in 1955, the American broadcaster Dumont Television Network airs its final broadcast, an episode of the sports series Boxing from St. Nicholas Arena. Somehow, I didn't know or completely forgot that there was a 
television network other than ABC and the two NBCs and one later CBS that there was another network, Dumont. I did not know that. Hmm. No, me neither. Like I knew there was like some syndicated service or something out there at the time, but I didn't know. Apparently Jackie Gleason was signed to them and like most of the, their recordings are completely lost because they were shot on film, which was then looted for the silver. in it. Uh, You know, film was combustible back then. And what wasn't rated for its silver was, mm -hmm. uh, destroyed in a fire. So there are very mm. few recordings of Dumont that actually exist. Wow. September 13th, the hard drive is invented by an IBM team led by Reynold B. Johnson. In October, the world's first industrial scale commercial nuclear power plant is opened at Calder Hall in England. November 3rd, The Wizard of Oz is the first major Hollywood film running more than 90 minutes to be televised uncut in one evening in the United States. And so it begins. And then November 5th, X the Unknown is released. Hearing all of this stuff that you were mentioning that goes is going on in 1956, after watching it, X the Unknown is like incredibly timely. Yes, it is. And we will get into that in a moment. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what went into the making of this film? What, like, uh, <laughs> we mentioned in last episode that this was supposed to be the next Quartermass film, but that didn't happen. So go ahead and tell. It's uh, Well, I, I'm just going to say this. Uh, I'm envious of you getting production notes for Quartermass Experiment because... The Hammer films held that one in a lot higher regard than the production of this one. I had to like fight to find any information on this one. <laughs> they were very plentiful with how much they were providing with memories and stories of Quartermass Experiment. But when it came to this one, and, and as you'll hear, there's there's some interesting stories about why they don't like to look fondly back on it. Even just trying to find out the budget was a bit of a, a head scratcher for me. Wikipedia says that the budget for X the Unknown was $60,000, but they also reference a variety article that said that, uh, let's see, article stated, and this is the exact quote evidence of growing production costs, quarter mass two is roughly 60% above that of the quarter mass experiment, which costs $140,000. That was directly from Variety in 1957. They're making you do math. They made me do <laughs> math and conversions. Like, what the hell? They don't want to tell you the budget. They're like, oh, it was 60% more than... Yeah, it's like, no, no. It's like, either way, more than the 60,000 that Wikipedia was stating, but I'll go into that later. X the Unknown is from a first-time screenwriter, Jimmy Sangster, who would later go on to become a co-writer and or rewriter for hammer studios would work on stuff like the curse of frankenstein and horror of dracula so while the film was supposed to be a direct sequel to quarter mass experiment the author nigel neal refused permission for the character of bernard Quartermass to be used the character was changed to atomic energy scientist dr adam royston played by uh, dean jagger which was funny because we had a uh, a little bit of a topic talking about Bernard Quartermass's portrayal in the film in the last one where I <laughs> I like it I was like yeah I can see why the author is upset but you kind of like the Captain Kirk uh, aspect of him and I was like 
Well, that yeah. would come around uh, to bite them yeah. on a sequel here. Brian Dunleavy. We'll talk about Brian Dunleavy versus D- Dean Jagger, who plays Adam Royston. Anyway, continue. Okay. So, um, and again, when you mentioned Arthur Miller appearing before the Senate committee, there was also a director who uh, had to relocate to the UK just to find work. His name was Joseph Lucy, who began filming X the Unknown, but as production went on, he was replaced with another director, Leslie Norman. There are two reasons that have been given for it. The first one was he, he fell ill and needed to be replaced. But the other one was that the star, Dean Jagger, refused to work with them because he was placed on the Hollywood blacklist. So little column A, little column B, I'm guessing he probably had a fever one day and all of a sudden they said, yeah, yeah we, uh, we got to replace him. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's probably correct. I think it's probably a little bit of both here. All yeah, right. um, but the director they replaced him with, Leslie Norman, he didn't have very good of a time either. He wasn't excited about working on the project. He took it just because paycheck. That was literally it. He would actually go on to say, and here's my exact quote, hated working at Hammer because he never got along with the producer, Anthony Hintz. As other stories went on, you'd find out that, man, Dean Jagger just did not like working with people, did he? Uh, Jagger did not like working with him, but also other crew members didn't like working with him, and the heads of uh, Hammer didn't like working with him. So, From what I've heard, he was one of those directors that used profanity, you know, mm-hmm. shouted through a megaphone all the yep. time, and yep. like, that's just not the way the Brits do things. The script described the monster as being, quote, made up of millions of writhing worm-like segments. And because of not only the film's budget, but the technology at the time, a lot of the stuff that was in the description of the script could not be filmed as such. So we got the monster, which we'll talk about when we talk about the film as well. This one also got an X rating from the board at the UK, just like Quartermass Experiment. Is that why they called it X the Unknown? Like, yeah, it is. It is like I think they just were like, you know what? Fine, we're just gonna keep getting X ratings. We're just gonna lean into this whole X thing. So, it's X the Unknown. You said what was it? X the Unknown was released in November of fifty six. November fifth. Yeah, November fifth. Okay, it was actually supposed to come out that March of 1956 because RKO was in their final stages and they were about to completely go under they were hashing out like the distribution rights between warner brothers because x the unknown got distributed in the united states by warner brothers honestly between the fact that it had like two directors two distribution companies it's a marvel that this movie was as successful as it was or just was as good as it was (laughs) Speaking of um, Quartermass Experiment, that was the last film under their deal with Robert Lippert. So they were finally free of that deal and they were going to get a major U.S. studio to distribute them. RKO! And then suddenly, RKO is bankrupt. Since RKO actually funded, I want to say they funded 60000 or 30000 Either way, they covered enough to make sure that they had a, a U.S. star in the role, which which was Dean Jagger. He was like six years off of winning a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for 12 O'Clock High. And I think and a lot of people also might know him as well as he was the major general from White Christmas. 
So, okay. Yeah. This is the first time, like I watched one of these movies with my wife. She sat and watched. I was like, Hey, I know that guy. Cause she loves white Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk about white Christmas cause it snowed here this past week. Ah. I, I, so for those who don't know, I'm in Vermont. White Christmas, the whole plot of the film's about, is it going to snow in Vermont? Okay, right now we're <laughs> recording this thing and it's almost Memorial Day here and it snowed a few days ago. We still have the heat on in our house here and it's like middle of May and it's, yeah. And, it's, and it's you're cold. in Kentucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's get into this film itself. It opens on the moors in Scotland and there's this army unit learning how to detect radiation with Geiger counters, which Mm -hmm. makes sense given the time, you know, it's like, this is going to be the new truth about war. You know, this is uh, about 10 years after the Hiroshima bombing. So this is the new reality that soldiers need to train with this. And there's one soldier who's, you know, not (laughs) the greatest. So they like tried to skip him. They're hiding this little radioactive marker and then the the soldiers have to find it you know Mm -hmm. using the geiger counter and like everybody's like okay we'll do this last one and while they're not paying attention he finds a reading which is nowhere near where it's supposed to be so finally they go check his geiger counter and in fact it is working then there's an explosion and the ground (laughs) opens up and And thus begins the film and thus begins the film (laughs) they have to quarantine the area and they call in the American scientist, Dr. Adam Royston. He's the chief atomic scientist working at the Lockmouth Research Lab in Lockmouth, Scotland, which I don't know if it's a real place, but I'm guessing it is. I don't know. I I wrote it down as cabin with a pane of glass. It might be real for all I know. I noticed in the very beginning of this movie, they thanked the war office. And yeah. I think they had real soldiers and stuff like that. So I can only assume that their research lab was also real. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does look really uh, like a cabin. Dr. Royston is essentially Professor Quartermass under a different name. Remember, they yep. had changed him to a doctor in previous versions of Quartermass experiment script mm-hmm. and then changed him back to a professor. So Dr. Adam Royston, this time played by... Dean Jagger. Fans sometimes refer to this film as Quartermass 1.5 because (laughs) for all intents and purposes, it is a Quartermass film. Right. There's Aside from the character not being called Quartermass, everything, it looks and talks like a Quartermass film. It's never seen ever again. It is Never Say Never Again. It it is. The only thing that makes it different from that is that Never Say Never Again had the original guy come back. And this is like a new guy. True, right. When Royston arrives, there's no longer a radioactivity, which is very strange because you would expect if there's radioactivity in the area, it would continue to remain. It's supposed to linger. Yeah. Yeah. There's just this bottomless Y-shaped crevice in the earth they should have had like an extra split just to like seal the x home there yeah yeah that would have been great that night there's two boys Mm. willie harding and ian osborne and they're they're like daring each other to go through the woods to this like haunted tower and there's supposedly a guy named old tom that lives there 
who's like you know <laughs> crazy old dude you know and uh willie sees something horrible and ian runs away so the boy is taken to the hospital and they're trying to figure out what happened to him after questioning by royston the other boy reveals that they were going to this tower. So he goes to check out the tower. <laughs> he finds there is a sample container from his workshop. Oh, I should mention the workshop, the lab. He had these little erector samples. set things. Yeah. yeah, it was like an erector set. I That's exactly what I thought it was. It was like, oh, it looks like he's got an erector. Set. He's got an erector set where he like uses <laughs> a little pulley to drop with. his sample into like the lead case and all that. Yeah. They call it trinium. I think it's supposed to be tritium, which is an actual right. radioactive element. Right. Uh, some sources refer to it as tritium. Some refer to it as trinium. Mm-hmm. I think they were saying trinium. But I, I heard trinium too, like with an N instead of yeah. a D. I was like... Either they just made it up or they meant tritium and it was an error. Yeah, still sounds better than unobtainium. Way better. Um, so so these samples are very similar to what they were burying in the moors for the soldiers they're just like a little metal cylinder or a little cylinder made of this radioactive element so he finds one of these the one from his lab in crazy tom's tower with with his own personal still yeah so old tom was there's a guy that's like got a a still and he's um the i like that uh, little touch of like crazy tom there (laughs) yeah actually it had a lot of stuff like that where it's like they didn't really explain it they didn't need to this is just like you know one of the local crazies you know yeah and and later on in the the story when you find there's moments that require explaining it's the best meta wink and nod i've heard in writing as well like there's a moment where royston's in a car and he didn't want it to get out about the pit being bottomless and was partner that's in the car there he started to tell other people about the pit being bottomless and he just goes that's very unscientific of him yeah (laughs) i I admire that on two levels i admire that on one way to wear your sci-fi genre on your sleeve that's awesome and in in a good way and that's also a nod that this is the quarter mass that nigel wanted to begin with or at least it sounds exactly like that so like I said, it's little touches like that in the writing with that, with Crazy Tom, that just, it works so, like you said, these they have these little moments that work so well. For a first-time writer, it's it's sure of, of his writing. I was watching a YouTube video in the last few days about how Kodak knew that the U.S. was doing atomic bomb tests in the Nevada desert before mm-hmm. they told anyone that they were doing that hmm. because in upstate New York or something, they had pl- facilities in like Illinois near Chicago and, or something and and upstate New York. So way far away from the Nevada on their undeveloped film, they were seeing the result of x-rays. Really? And, yeah. And so wow. they're like, they were able to tell what the distance was and stuff like that. And the government came to him and was, was like, yeah, we're doing this. Um, keep it quiet. And yeah. Kodak <laughs> did. And, but if radiation was reaching that far, think of what all was going on. So like the fact that this opens with Geiger counters and all that and radiation's at the heart of it is I think really timely 
especially like we were talking about what going on in 1956 was it the first atomic plant or something yeah. was opening yeah. or yeah yeah so so that was the united kingdom's atomic energy commission and mm-hmm. there's actually a character from the uk's atomic energy commission that is sent here in the story Mac McGill from their mm-hmm. internal security division to come investigate the theft of this trinium that's disappeared from the lab. Yeah, this is that, uh, that's the police officer or so, right? Yeah, yeah, and, I like him. I, I liked yeah. him in this movie. And him and Quartermass end up forming a like a, a, duo. a, like, a duo, like, yeah. yeah. Like when you say unlikely crime fighting team, that's what happens scientist and detective. <laughs> Willie's father is upset, in, and mm-hmm. Willie. Well, hang on just a second. Let me sound the spoiler alert. Uh, the the kid dies, which is like, whoa, one of those moments. Yeah. You know? And then uh, the father. <laughs> yeah. Kids are normally safe in these movies. <laughs> yeah. So like for a, a sci-fi film in the 1950s for like a kid to die this early in the movie, especially you're like, Whoa, it's the equivalency of killing a cat in a movie today. Yeah. So (laughs) the father accuses, accuses him of letting off bombs. You can't control Mm -hmm. to me. That line is a lot like what was going on because, you know, they didn't know what the, result of some of these bombs were going to be i remember when they right. let off like the h bomb or something they thought that they might they might like set the stratosphere on fire like yeah there's there like there's like a a really small chance that that might happen well like yeah, small, yeah. like really really small well like, we might burn up this atmospheric layer that's covering our planet with this bomb but we got to try it yeah so that's what gets me it's like they did it anyway it's like like even if the chance is like you know one percent half of a percent it's like that's mm-hmm. too high a percentage chance of destroying yeah. the whole world you know that that is why i will always like if i have to list my favorite sci-fi films i will always list jurassic park in there for the one line yeah yeah but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think they should that's not only sci-fi in a nutshell but that's also how many things have happened nowadays because of uh, and again as 1956 the first meeting about ai yeah yep so um moving on the kid dies all right so the kid dies uh the the father accuses them of letting off bombs they can't control and adam royston says we only try to create not destroy right meanwhile there's a nurse and an intern Mm -hmm. who decide to use the radiation room to like meet up and have their secret yeah to have their hookup yeah i'm like okay like Oh my god! Of all uh, the places, I, you know, you could have picked. You know, by this point, I started questioning: was it was it standard practice to deal with any levels of radiation and not have a suit? You know, I think that that actually a lot less was known, especially by the general public, about radiation at that time. Okay, um, I think you know, so they'll have it behind like a little barrier but they won't be wearing any protective gear or anything. It, it's just um, like that, that, the, that thin little layer of glass in front of Dr. Royston's experiment there. It, just, it kept reminding me of that Robin Williams punchline when he went in for like his, his CT or his x-ray or whatever. It's like, and they hand you a tiny little bib for your balls. Meanwhile, the doctor goes back behind four feet of concrete and just goes, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
they're like making out and then like Ooh, yeah. the always bad sign in horror film and this <laughs> thing blobs in through the system or something and uh i like that description it blobs in yeah and then he he uh he basically melts away which is really cool what they did and was when they- we say melt away like close-up of the face melting to the bone away yeah they covered his face in a wax mask of himself mm-hmm. and they put that on his face and then they had little heating elements embedded in the wax and they turned them on so that it literally melted the wax away and it looks like his face is melting super cool that was one of the things that got him an x rating oh yeah yeah easily got when you read the video nasty list and you realize why there's a movie on there and you see oh this scene that would be the scene as to why because <laughs> again my wife watched it with me after that happened i looked at her i was like yeah, the 1950s weren't ready for this level of gore in a movie. <laughs> Adam knows that this stuff has the properties of like oil. It's some kind of liquid or viscous fluid kind of thing. <laughs> or mud. Well, later on, we find out it is, in fact, mud, um, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool. Radioactive mud, because I could almost believe that, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the thing in Quartermass experiment was from space and i guess i could believe that you know because it comes from space it could be anything but like the idea that radioactive mud exists i could believe that that actually exists like if we were to dig down through the earth shell i i feel like if we ran into radioactive mud it would be like oh yeah that's a thing that, that's yeah. a thing. Yeah. Now, exactly. would it actually blob after people and seek out more radiation and whatever i don't know but um royston there's one part where he just jumps to this conclusion way ahead of everything he's like <laughs> you know he's like obviously you know the, the these underground life that we have no conception of and it's a, you know it's it's uh, a different form of life. And, and then he says, if anyone can come up with a simpler theory, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you just said the most complicated thing I can think of. Like, you know. And meanwhile, you have a uh, doughy glasses guy that's over there going, are you serious right now? <laughs> um, and then it, not in particle. so many words, but yeah. Right. One of the quotes that Royston says is it's a particle of mud, but by virtue of its atomic structure, it emits radiation. That's all it is, just mud. How do you kill mud? Yeah, that, that, that's I like that that's line. That's one of the great lines in this. Oh, and before that, uh, I also want to write down one of my other favorite like little screenwriting moments. When he's talking to like the detective, his other scientists and all this, they're there gathering, he's trying to understand, and he throws out that wild theory. Right before he does it, the other scientist goes, don't explain it to me like I'm a schoolboy. We don't know what this is. It's like, <laughs> okay, well, fine. He's about to go right to it, but then the detective goes, yeah, uh, I wasn't that bright in school, so uh, please explain it to me. I went, I don't want to tell and not show, and I just want to cut right to it. But then again, I know I need to, so I'm going to have both characters explain why I'm explaining. I love yeah. that little moment. It's just such a nice touch. <laughs> There's another moment like that that I thought was great, too, where you know they come up with what they've got to do and everything, and the army guy is talking to the other army guys and he's like it's major cartwright and he's talking about this he's like you know this royston chap brilliant of (laughs) course i'm sure 
But the trouble with these scientific types is they can't see the easy way out of anything. It's got to be complicated if it's going to work. (laughs) (laughs) He knows that it's a formless thing. It can take on different kinds of shapes. Two more soldiers are killed while guarding it. Mm -hmm. Adam realizes that it needs radiation to exist. Due to the development of nuclear power, there's been radiation above ground that it can get to sustain its life. So where is their radiation? Well, the next closest radiation is their research facility, which Mm -hmm. houses a cobalt bomb, which I don't know if that's actually a thing, but it sounds like a thing. It could be Um, a thing. That's what writers go with. It could be a thing. They basically, they want to find it first. They take volunteers. Someone's got to go down into the pit <laughs> to, to investigate it. This is where Peter? William Lucas, known for Portrait of Allison, Solo for Canary, and Curtain of Fear. Okay. So he basically volunteers to go down into the pit. So they set up this winch and they slowly yeah. <laughs> lower him down. Except at one point when the two guys operating the winch just like forget their job for a split second. Yeah. And he goes, <laughs> he goes like plummeting down. But then, of course, uh, but he, he survived that. As he's going down, he passes like a skeleton. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, OK, uh, there's the remains of one dead person. One of and the soldiers. So, yeah, so it's like. I had a moment of like lost skeleton of cadaver, you know, <laughs> but then I realized, but then I realized that it, the, it had killed the soldiers and it would have like taken all their flesh. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, that- did it to the guy in the, did it to the guy or the intern or whatever. So yeah. So I sleep, I sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> um we start to hear that sound yeah, coming you from hear underneath. The sound, them. You know, it's kind of the Jaws thing, right? So you mm-hmm. hear the sound before you before you, before you see the creature, and yeah. like, which by this point we haven't seen the creature at all. Yes, that is correct. We have not seen the creature that's again, pretty, like Jaws. That's like standard now for monster movies. I don't right. know if it was standard then, but it makes sense not to reveal because once you've revealed it, it's like that's that. You know, you're going to be stuck with it for the rest of the film. <laughs> You know, it almost attacks him, but then he he the winch guys are pulling him up and like it's chasing him coming up. There's a moment of like, is he gonna make it? Yeah, get him up. The major's like just concrete over the whole thing. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's (laughs) just shooting like flamethrowers down there or blowing it up and just dumping concrete over it. But they're like, they think that they'll break through it again. Dr. Royston doesn't, Mac. Yeah. Yeah, Mac and Adam think that. This is one of the parts where I'm like, well, you know, if it was going to break through again, wouldn't it break through nearby where it's like regular dirt and not concrete? Right, Um, right. Like it split through the earth already. I mean, why would concrete seal it up? (laughs) But I think that that was their point. Concreting over this doesn't matter. It already knows there's radiation on the surface. It's going to break through in a different spot. Meanwhile, there's some people who... In the days before GPS, we used to have to use a map. We would drive yep. it so you yep. get lost sometimes. So there's people, they got lost and they pulled over and they're looking that, at this map. And Those are like early map quests, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they get, they get completely dissolved by the creature. That is my favorite Mac moment in the film. 
he goes to investigate something and then this other officer in the background is going oh people being burned and he stops right at the door turns around like what was that (laughs) he's like oh just some stuff about people being melted or whatever like i'm gonna take that call i'll be right back (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was the moment that sold me for i was like i love this guy (laughs) wasn't there a scene where they were both on the phone at the same time yeah they were both on the phone like he couldn't have heard what he was saying i thought that was a really interesting scene by the way because it's very confusing when two people are talking at the same time. We try mm-hmm. to avoid it on this podcast, but we do it all the time. Sorry. But like <laughs> on on in the movie, there are two different people on the phone talking to other people at the same time. And, so and somehow only, it works. Somehow it works. And you can yeah. only catch part of each conversation at any mm-hmm. given moment because you're trying to focus on one or the other. But you're getting little bits of both. So it's kind of cool. It was like something I've never seen ever in any other movie. There's a lot of use of phones in this. And the one thing I really liked is every time you knew something was about to happen at that location, you'd always hear, sorry, the lines are really bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, we're still dealing with that now. Like, every time I log on to Zoom, it's like, oh, can you hear me? I can't hear you. (laughs) Uh, But so you can only imagine what it was like in the early days of telephones. Especially when you got like giant radiation interference coming by it as well. They find out that it is heading for the facility, so they order an evacuation. Basically, what's going to be in the path from that split to the the facility. Right. And so all the people are going to, in the U.S., it would be a civil defense shelter. In this, it's like a chapel. Mm -hmm. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do while everybody's hiding out in this chapel. There's some incidences at both the lab where like mm-hmm. uh, a guard this uh, is big, killed. This giant there's, lab, yeah. And there's also an incident near the chapel where a little girl goes out and... When we saw that Willie didn't survive, that's what got to my wife. The mother so just I... runs inside the building, leaves the girl, little girl out there. The girl goes to the wall and we're like, well, first off, the mom... Not a good mom. Second of all, we know this writer's not above killing kids, so I actually am terrified for what happened to this kid. So what you guys have to understand is I don't have kids. John and his wife have a little girl. We do. She's probably about the same age. Well, she's nine. But yeah, well, but you identify with that stage. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember that stage learning to walk, doesn't know the world world in front of him. Uh, Don't put your hands on that. There's germs. Don't go over the fence because there's a giant radioactive yeah. blob. When you hear, yeah, yeah, this is how radiation works, kid. Uh, stay away from it if you don't have like multiple lead lined suits on. <laughs> Sound the spoiler alert. We're basically going to the end. After it's attacked, it goes back underground. Basically, they decide to put a Jeep filled with radioactive bait they decide to drive a Jeep toward it and lure it back out so they can kill it. But the Jeep's tires get stuck in the mud. Peter's driving it. So again, Peter is the action hero. Yeah. Yeah. Jeep goes mud and mud gets stuck. (laughs) He manages to break free and then they lure it to an area rigged with electronic equipment and they turn on the switch. Explosion occurs and they think it's destroyed, but then there's a second unexpected yeah. explosion, mm-hmm. which they can't explain. And remember, this whole thing started with an explosion coming from underground. Right. So they basically have 
destroyed this one, but is it the end? We don't know. It was so, an odd note to leave it on because it was it was literally, oh, that shouldn't have happened. Oh, you should just be glad it worked. The end. I'm like, I don't I know was, how to feel about that. <laughs> I was interested in the fact that they I don't think they mentioned anywhere in this movie the fact that underground atomic testing was taking place. The first underground test took place in 1951. So so pretty close to like when this was being written. Yep. That would have been the one little detail that would have put this movie over the top for me if they had referenced mm-hmm. underground nuclear testing. And right. maybe they did. And maybe the UK War Office could have said, remember, they worked in con- conjunction with the War Office. The wa- War Office might have said, yeah, no, you can't have references to underground testing because we don't True. want people to know. Right, exactly. It's Well, just like the thing with Kodak and... When they said, oh, well, you're testing this. We are. Please don't say anything. Yeah. The, just for the runtime that it has, like for being close to an hour and 20 minutes, like it breezes through really well. Yeah. Overall, I got to say, I like this better than Quartermass Experiment. Kind of. Yeah, because I think I think what this one does better than Quartermass is it understands that the horror elements were what made it a lot stronger. They knew it, they had a good base with the science fiction story, but they leaned into the horror elements big time. And Hollywood has and hasn't caught onto it yet in the sense that they know to make a profit, lean into horror. They don't recognize it when it comes to awards, though. When you mentioned, oh, this is the next film to watch in our sequence, I was like, I was excited because a couple years back during the pandemic, my wife and I watch, uh, watch Mojo on YouTube and they did a thing the greatest movies A to Z. They didn't do like a top 20 or whatever. This was just like, they wanted every letter to encompass every aspect of a genre and they did horror. When it got to X, I was like, oh, what's the, like what starts with X? That's a horror film. And it showed that clip of Willie in the woods from X, the unknown. And I was like, this looks kind of cool. I was like, I wanted to see it. And while watching it, I realized not only was it cool, not only did it belong on the list of horror because it was one of the earliest sci-fi horror films, this also predated The Blob. Yes, this was the start of a whole bunch of Blob films. There was this, there was The Blob the next year. The year after that, uh, there was Kaltiki, The Immortal Monster. So there was a bunch of Blob films that came out after this. Yeah. This is a movie that it's a pretty good science fiction film, but it's a really effective horror film. This is where the writing was on the wall that Hammer was about to go full horror. Yeah. The British film critic, David Peary, he wrote his review of this in the Time Out film guide. He, he wrote this later, looking back at this film, but he said in 1956 was the year of the Suez crisis, a sharp increase in the crime rate and uneasy preparation for World War III spawned a series of gloomy thrillers, both in Britain (laughs) and in America, in which the weight of the military is mobilized against various alien organisms from the bowels of the earth or outer space. In a lot of ways, X the Unknown communicates the atmosphere of Britain in the late 50s more effectively than the most earnest social document. So, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it is that yeah. this 
era of paranoia. Still there. Like, and again, like we have these Senate hearings on, you know, the Red Scare at the time, McCarthyism. Not only that, but we're also roughly 10 years from the ending of World War II, which the ending to that was signified with a giant bang, <laughs> two giant bangs in Japan. And yeah, yep. it's kind of terrifying to realize, oh, if we get into another one of these wars, that's the card that could be played. And it's it's terrifying. There's definitely this overwhelming sense of dread. And I think the film captures it really well because the black and white photography, of course, everything is black and white at this time, but the black <laughs> and white photography in this is really well done. It's right. like there's a lot of emphasis on the darkness. Like this, a yeah. lot of this thing happens at night. And you, you know? know, the other the other thing I wanted to point out was it opens up in the daytime, which for a horror film to open in the daytime and still manage to actually have a pretty tense moment in the day, that that's challenging. I like, think a lot of horror films like open at night and then it cuts mm -hmm. to the next day to the yep. people who don't know what's going on. And then mm -hmm. like, you know, slowly the horror, they learn about the horror. And then the first next night that happens, something happens. And then it keeps happening like that until like you're all night. Right. This like opens in the day, then it's night after that. And like every, almost everything happens at night. The mm -hmm. boys going, the tower happens at night. The guards on posted at this thing happen at night. The scene in the woods, like I, the reason why I said, like, I thought, like, from what I saw in the Watch Mojo clip looked really good. That entire sequence in the woods, the way it's lit is gorgeous, especially in black and white. Who knows? This might have been a much bigger film if it had beat Invasion, Invasion of the, the Body Snatchers to the box yeah. office, because it has that same sense of dread and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I want to remind everyone that you can find us on just about every major podcasting platform, whatever platform is your choice. It would be great if you could leave us a review because that is what lets the algorithm know that people are actually listening to the show and helps other people find the show or just tell somebody about the show. Get one other person to listen to the show. And if you want to talk to us directly or whatever, you can email us at gc8podcast. That's letter G, letter C, number eight, podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Eric. And this is John. Signing off. There's no such thing as getting killed by a car. In the Fast and Furious saga, as long as you touch a car, it's like home base and tag when you were a kid.